Roll to Save presents The Dying World, a Muckborg solo actual play podcast. Welcome to The Dying World, a Merkborg solo actual play podcast. What does that mean? Well, these last few months I've been messing around with solo RPGs. I won't lie, a big part of the draw has been listening to John Cohen's wonderful Tale of the Manticore podcast. Seriously, if you don't listen to this yet, get it in your podcast library. It's an amazing story, brilliantly acted and suitably dark. Listening to it got me thinking, what's actually involved in a solo RPG? In the dim and distant past, I was hooked into the RPG hobby by way of fighting fantasy, choose-your-own-adventure-style gamebooks with a basic RPG system to handle things like health, combat, and really any time an element of random chance was involved. Was this what the solo RPG experience was like? Some research quickly showed me that it was nothing like that. Whilst game books were solo games, they were very much on rails, with defined action points and outcomes. The whole solo RPG scene is much like a regular RPG in that the stories could be about, well, anything, and you can use any system. What is more, nothing is pre-written. When you play a solo RPG, it can literally take you anywhere. At the risk of sounding trite, all you need is a bit of imagination. Now, I've played around with a few methods of doing this, and the sweet spot i found is the Mythic Game Master emulator deck. I talked about that in our latest podcast. I won't go into specifics here, I'll drop a link into the show notes, but after playing around with it a few times, I was completely hooked on where the system could take you. I've run games of old school essentials and taken a party down a dungeon populated with fearsome and nasty beasts, all with little more prep than rolling up some characters and deciding on a starting point. For people into world building and forging their own narrative, I can't recommend solo RPGs more highly. Now obviously there are some limitations, I couldn't really see myself running something like Paranoia or any other game that requires inter-party betrayal using a solo RPG engine, but for an engaging exploration experience, these things are ideal. Indeed, for the frustrated author in all of us, these can be used independently of any system to just tell a really good story. As well as the Mythic Engine, I also happened upon Solitary Defilement by 1d10 plus 5. All jokes aside, seriously, stop sniggering at the back, you've got filthy minds. This is a rather wonderful, free, solo RPG engine for the equally wonderful Merkborg. Now, for those of you that don't know, Merkborg is a rules-like game in the OSR mold published by Free League. It's described as a doom metal album of a game, and it very much lives up to that premise. 
set in a world on the brink of destruction, the characters in Muckborg are adventurers out to make what they can of themselves before Armageddon consumes everything. The setting is summed up in around a dozen or so stylistically rich pages. Actually, that's a key thing about this book. It's absolutely beautiful in an incredibly weird way. It's been described as an art house RPG. Now, when I say there's around a dozen or so pages of background, much of this is visual, with the authors choosing to get across their vision using illustrations just as readily as with prose. Now, it's probably not to everyone's tastes, but I personally find it absolutely captivating. Therefore, I've been dying to give this game a try ever since I got it at Christmas, and running it solo seemed the perfect excuse to do so. Solitary provides the perfect rule set to allow for the exploration of Murkborg's pitch-black apocalyptic world without me having to beg my players to let me torment them. Steve, you are off the hook. What is more, as I messed around with this and became more and more impressed with the stories it could tell, I figured that this would be wonderful podcast fodder. Murkborg is dark, it's weird, it's violent, and what's more, there's a certain black humour to be found in it. Now, those of you who have endured a session of two of paranoia at my hands will know this is very much the direction in which I lean, so how could I not choose to do this? Another great aspect of Murkborg is the setting, or rather, how light the setting is. Sure, there's a land out there that's painted in broad brushstrokes, but a lot is left intentionally blank, meaning that if world building is your thing, this is very much going to be for you. Outside of the place names of a few major locations, the bleak, dank wastes of the dying world are just waiting to be painted on, presumably in shades of black or really dark grey at a stretch. So, how am I intending to run this thing? Well, firstly, I'm running the rules as is from the Murkborg main rulebook. Don't worry if you don't know them, they're incredibly simple, fast and easy to understand. Where necessary in this podcast, I'm going to explain what needs to be explained, so those of you who aren't au fait with the game will be able to keep up. Where characters are concerned, I won't be using the optional classes, instead I'll be using the rules for random generation found in the rulebook. There will be a lot of random involved in this podcast. Secondly, my engine will consist of the Mythic GM emulator deck and the rules presented in Solitary Defilement. Some of these rely on extra rules found in one of Muckbog's official supplements, Cult Ferritory. This lovely little book contains all sorts of goodies to help you generate your world, like tables for travelling, wilderness encounters, hunting, campsite events, and more random monster generation than you could shake a beer of saints' bones at. Bonus points for those of you who get the reference. Everything is going to be randomly generated, and I'm going to be slavish in my devotion to the will of the dice. Nothing has been pre-written, I'm on as much of a journey as the listeners. Now to supplement this lovely randomness, I'm going to use a trio of decks created by a nice chap by the name of Philip Reed. I backed these in Kickstarter last year, and they allow for randomness where injuries, treasure and secrets are concerned. Wonderful stuff. I also have some of Philip's other pieces, which allow for the random generation of strangers and denizens of the cities and the countryside, as well as a tome of monsters. These will probably all come into play at some point or another, and I will put a link to Philip's work in the show notes. Thirdly, I'm going to keep the episode short. 
probably around the half hour mark. This is a personal thing, as when I listen to podcasts, this is what I enjoy. Plus, any of you who have ever written for or edited a podcast will know just how much of a time sink a half hour episode can be. Fourthly, I expect the characters to have a fairly limited life expectancy. Murkborg's dying world is a brutal setting and the rules reinforce this. I'll be making use of the getting better rules to reflect character experience, but this will happen at designated story milestones. Don't expect characters to improve too often. Fifthly, I genuinely have no idea how long this is going to last. As I mentioned before, everything is going to be randomly generated, so I'm going to be in for as much of a surprise as you are. Now, I could be pretentious here and use the term procedurally generated, but that feels a very grand way to describe a guy rolling some dice and asking a deck of cards to tell him what horrible things are lurking around the corner. I said it before, but I'll say it again. I am going to be extremely devoted to the dice, and anyone who has ever gamed with me will probably be bracing themselves for an extremely short podcast, as my bad luck when it comes to rolling dice is legendary. As of yet ungenerated characters, I apologise in advance. Now, speaking of characters, who are these unfortunate souls? Well, I'm not going to take you through character creation. Instead, I'll introduce you to them through the story itself. For those of you interested in the crunchy bits, I'll look to put the character sheets up on rolltosave.blog. Mechanically, I'm doing the following though. Randomly generating their starting silver, equipment, weapons and armour as per the rulebook. Rolling 4d6 for each of the four main abilities and dropping the lowest dice. Rolling a d8 for hit points and adding their toughness bonus. Rolling a d2 for the number of omens they start with. Spending some of their silver on additional weapons and equipment. After all, these characters are preparing for a long journey. And drawing a card from the deck of secrets for each character to determine their past. Now don't worry if none of that made any sense. As I said previously, when we get to rules, I'll explain what they are. I generally like to avoid house ruling wherever possible, but there are a couple of instances where I found the Murkborg rulebook to be unclear. Therefore, I'm introducing these house rules at this stage. Each four-day package of food counts as one item for encumbrance purposes. Each water skin can hold up to four days worth of water and counts as one item for encumbrance purposes. Each character can carry up to two weapons, which don't count against their encumbrance. These are assumed to be sheathed, slung or otherwise readily available. Any more have to be stashed in a backpack or the like. Characters with a bow can carry up to 20 arrows and these don't count against their encumbrance totals. A shield and armour doesn't count against encumbrance. Silver doesn't count against encumbrance unless we're talking ridiculous amounts. Bundles of four torches count as one item for encumbrance. Beyond carrying a couple of items, characters need something like a backpack or a sack to store them in, otherwise they're just going to be walking around with armfuls of stuff or awkwardly bulging clothing. And characters are assumed to be wearing travelling clothes in addition to any armour they may own. I think it's fair to say that the inhabitants of the bleak, dying world are probably smart enough to wrap up warm. Those that aren't probably end up freezing to death. So, without further ado, shall we meet our characters? 
It was said that nobody had seen the sun for years. However, for the three figures trudging along the well-worn wagon trail, the perpetual twilight of their existence was less of an immediate concern than the torrents of dark, oily rain that poured relentlessly from the heavens. The shortest of the three, a thin, wiry woman by the name of Keftar, gestured dramatically at the dank, sodden moorland that lined both sides of the road. We picked a hell of a day to go on a hike, Bellum. Is it much further to do Enderhop? Bellum, a tall man in bulky furs that were clearly becoming more and more uncomfortable as they greedily absorbed increasingly large amounts of rainwater, scowled darkly and adjusted his hood. Doing the hop is almost two weeks away, as well you know. Keftar rolled her eyes. I was being facetious. It's almost like this weather has dampened my normally sunny and cheerful disposition. Gods, is there no shelter to be found? The last hour has been nothing but heather, bracken and moss. Much as I hate to say it, but I'd settle for a good old-fashioned forest at this point. At least the canopy would offer some shelter. Bellum shook his head. A forest? Really? You remember the last time we took a shortcut through a forest? Hey, that wasn't my fault. I wasn't to know it would be full of, well, whatever those things were. Those things that wanted to eat us. Now we don't know that they wanted to eat us. You don't know if the short, ferocious creatures with the shaggy white fur and the long pointed teeth that took a chunk out of Elvin's arm were intent on eating us. He stopped and looked over at the other man in the group. Sorry, Felbin. Didn't mean to bring back any old memories. Felbin shrugged, rubbed his forearm and smiled through his sodden, greying beard. His crooked stained teeth reminded Bellum of an explosion in the graveyard. Not a problem, brother. He laughed, a harsh, rasping sound that spoke of ill health and too much tobacco. After all, we got our own back on that, and then some. A soft, wistful sigh escaped his mouth. Bellum's brow furrowed. What do you mean? A look that was part mischief, equal parts dark humour, crossed Felbin's face. Well, remember that night after we'd seen them off and I went hunting? And then we had that delicious boar around the campfire. Bellum nodded. Yes. Well? Kefta threw her hands in the air. Oh, for God's sake. You're saying that what we ate was one of those things? Felbin sniggered. <laughs> it's ironic, isn't it? That'll teach them little buggers to try and make a meal of me. Top of the food chain. Unsurprisingly, this revelation killed the conversation dead and they walked in silence for several minutes. Eventually, the sounds of running water started to mingle with that of the driving rain, and, as the travellers crested the rise, a small village came into view. In a more conventional environment, one with bright sunshine, birdsong, and fluffy white clouds ambling lazily across a bright blue sky, such a place would be pastoral, almost idyllic. As it was, though, with the driving rain pitch-black clouds and weak, feeble light, the village and its environs looked like a threatening, haunted ruin, squatting obscenely on the banks of a dangerously swollen, muddy river whose water was almost crimson with the minerals it carried from the distant hills. The party slowed their pace and moved cautiously forward. Both Felbin and Keftar had notched arrows to their bows, conscious of how dangerous this cursed land could be. As they closed, 
A strange floral scent filled the air, along with a distant, discordant chanting. Kefta gestured for them to all get down and pointed towards what was presumably serving as a village square. Either of you seen anything like that? The other two knelt on the muddy, sodden earth and followed Keftar's outstretched arm. A collection of robed figures clustered around what appeared to be a massive coffin cast out of black stone. They moved slowly and in time with the chants, stopping only to occasionally genuflect as they made slow laps of the huge box. Look, I'm not being unkind. There's every chance we might have just stumbled upon some charming local folk tradition. But you know all those weird cults running about out there who are seriously into sacrifice and calling up things from beyond? She made air quotes around the last phrase with her fingers. I'm pretty sure they all dress and act just like that. Felbin took his eyes off the village and looked back at Keftar, his head cocked slightly to one side. We're one day out of Garfdale, and you're already that paranoid? Listen, little sister. I've walked all over Kyrgyz in my day, and I've seen far worse than what they've got going on down there. Did I ever tell you what they do to relic thieves in Zealand? Keftar held up a hand. That's plenty, Grandad. I don't need another of your scary bedtime stories, like that one about the throngs of vengeful porcelain dolls coming to claim the souls of the living. Ugh. Grandad, I'm pretty sure I'm old enough to be your father. Besides... Things like this always pique my sense of curiosity. The woman vigorously shook her head whilst wagging a finger in Felbin's general direction. You're a skinny old bag of bones. No, make that an ancient bag of bones, who has more luck than common sense. I don't care what horrors you've confronted in the past. We've got a long journey ahead of us, and if there's no pressing need for us to introduce ourselves to some loonball cult of, well whatever they're a cult of, I say your sense of curiosity be damned. Let's get on our way. She stood up, cursed the mud that had merrily adhered to the hem of her cloak while she'd been kneeling, and went to heft a sack of belongings over her shoulder, but stopped short as Bellum tugged at her leg and, with his other arm, pointed at the ceremony. She scowled darkly. Oi! Not so handsy, mister! If he had heard her... Bellum didn't show it, and instead flapped a hand in the direction of the village once again. We are going down there. Look. Keftar opened her mouth to protest, then stopped short as she saw what had caught Bellum's attention. Oh, that symbol! He nodded grimly. Picked out on the surface of the coffin in dull red stones was a pattern like that of interlaced diamonds with a flame-wreathed star in the centre. Yeah. Isn't that the same symbol as... Bellum nodded again. That's right. That same accursed symbol. Reaching inside his tunic, he produced a smaller version, made of the same red stone, and which he wore around his neck on a thick, stained leather thong. As the rainwater struck its surface... He was sure he could hear it sigh, and he hurriedly and clumsily placed it beneath his tunic again before closing his eyes and shaking his head. The whole damned reason we're out here. With a sigh and the creak of bones, Felbin clumsily got to his feet and wiped the mud from his breeches before checking the hand axe that hung from a cord in his belt. Seemingly satisfied, 
he reached down for his bow and slowly notched an arrow, all the while keeping his eyes on the village. The other two looked at each other, Keftar shrugged in a classic Feldman kind of way, before Bellum held up a finger and coughed noisily. Feldman never took his eyes off the village. Hmm. Eh? What are you doing? Feldman nodded in the general direction of the village. I figured that seeing as you were doing the whole moody, doomed hero thing, that we were about to head down there and see what was what. Am I wrong? Well, no. We're going to go down there, but I wasn't planning on unleashing a hail of death from above. Neither was I. I was just being prepared. Felbin chuckled to himself. What's so funny? Well, firstly, the whispering. Who's gonna hear you? They're just us in the driving rain up here. Secondly, a hail of death from above? Seriously, get over yourself. You've seen me use a bow before, right? As our lady friend here pointed out. Keftar thrust her hands defiantly onto her hips and shot Felbin a glare that would have given any nearby Gorgons a run for their money. I am not your lady friend. Okay, as Shorty here pointed out. And I'm not short. I'm a bit past my prime. If I'm completely honest, that mob down there are just a collection of dark blurs. I could probably hit one, but honestly, at this range, and more importantly, this age... I'm not sure I'm firing at people, cows, or bears. Cow? Well, we're in the countryside, so I figured there might be cows somewhere around here. Seriously, though, sometimes even you two can be a bit of a blur, and that's okay with me because it means I don't have to look at your ugly faces. He grinned his crooked grin and slapped Bellum on the arm. Oh, I'm only joshing. I can see fine up close. In fact, I know that you're still as ugly as ever. As if to reinforce the point... He patted the other man on the cheek, chuckled, and started ambling in the direction of the village. He paused and looked over at the other two. Hey, are you guys coming? They nodded and moved to follow, but Bellum suddenly stopped and grabbed Kefta's arm, a look of concern on his face. What did he mean by moody doomed hero thing? It was Kefta's turn to grin. Oh, he's a mad old bugger, to be sure. But he got that part spot on. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, come off it. Have you zero self-awareness? The whole closing your eyes and shaking your head whilst muttering in your gruffest voice, the whole damn reason we're out here, is pretty cliched. She laughed lightly and ran after Felbin. Bellum slid his hand over his chest to where the symbol was warm against his skin. They might laugh, but this was the whole reason they had started this journey in the first place. Grimly, he followed his companions down the hill. Thank you for listening to The Dying World, a Merkborg solo actual play podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to offer my heartfelt thanks to our amazing voice actors. They are 
Josh McKeand as Bellum, Keely Wilson as Keftar, and Tyler Bushman as Feldman. If you want more of Tyler, and no, that's not meant to sound as creepy as it probably does, he's got a channel over on TikTok. He's a funny guy, and you'll find him there by searching for Fueled by the Day. If you want to try your hand at Murkborg solo play adventure, I'll put a link in the show notes for all the wonderful tools that I've used to haul this together. It's relatively inexpensive, but it's a ton of fun. I'm also going to start a dying world section over on rolltosave.blog, so check back there for character sheets and other associated nonsense. We're a semi-regular addition to the regular Roll to Save lineup. You'll find us on your podcast directory of choice, and our back catalogue contains dozens of history and roundtable episodes about notable RPGs from the past, as well as other actual play episodes just like this one. Now, if you enjoyed this, please leave us a review. It might not seem like much, but all those lovely little twinkly stars help light us up in the podcast charts and get us more visibility. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at Save Podcast or on Facebook by searching for Roll to Save. You can also email us at roll.2.save.pod at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.